Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, welcome to The Tents. I'm your host, Scott Bellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. In today's internet-fueled hobby, the misconceptions, good and bad, about utilizing leaves and botanicals in our aquariums continue, and they spread really quickly. There's a lot of stuff out there ascribing capabilities and attributes to botanicals that simply isn't true stuff about how they impact water parameters in our aquariums. There is much confusion. Yes, you can use botanicals to influence the pH of your water if carbonate hardness is minimal. They can and will impart humic substances and tannins into the water. They will, of course, color the water. How much and to what extent is something that's simply unpredictable. I know that's somewhat unsatisfying, but that's the truth. Much like the misconception that botanicals soften the water, it was often assumed by hobbyists that the brownish tint imparted by the water uh, into the water by leaves and botanicals somehow implies that it's soft and acidic. It does not. Yet some of these materials uh, do contain substances that can reduce the pH in water, which has low to negligible carbonate hardness. I'm going to say this like five times before you get sick of me saying it. However, the tannins, which are the substances which tint the water, cannot overcome the calcium and magnesium ions and drive the pH down significantly in water with high levels of these carbonate hardness uh, elements present. It is simply putting more materials into the water, which are often detectable by TDS meters in aquariums. And as we've discussed before, there are natural habitats, such as the Tapajos in Brazil, which have essentially clear water, yet are rather soft and acidic. So color is not a reliable indicator of pH or hardness. First off, without delving too far into basic water chemistry, which I have neither the desire or ability to explain in simple terms, I think that everyone needs to kind of delve into Google and refresh or educate for the first time themselves on the concepts of carbonate hardness and pH and how that impacts your aquarium life. This will set you up well for understanding exactly what these parameters mean and how they can impact your fishes. Suffice it to say, Botanicals cannot influence the carbonate hardness of the water. I'm saying it again, right? They cannot soften it. Soft water is water that contains low concentrations of ions, particularly calcium and magnesium. In order to achieve soft water, these ions need to be removed from the water. In nature, soft water occurs where rainfall accumulates and rivers and streams are formed over hard, impervious calcium-poor rocks. Geology, as we've discussed before, is a huge influence on the carbonate hardness of the water in wild ecosystems, and for that matter, in aquariums. For our purposes, the process of ion exchange is the most efficient way to soften water for aquarium use, and that's most easily uh, achieved by utilizing a reverse osmosis deionization unit, of which there are you know, dozens available for aquarium use. Now, for a detailed explanation of that process, again, just Google it. My head spins just thinking about how to explain that in a non-confusing manner. I think we've tried that before in the past, and it came out okay, but it's a lot to cover. In my opinion, though, an RODI unit is one of the most fundamental investments that any serious botanical-style aquarium enthusiast should make. Yeah, there are a couple hundred U.S. dollars to start, and arguments can be made about, you know, their water efficiency and so forth. But if you really want to create optimum conditions for your fishes that require soft, acidic water, 
for most of us, it's the best way to go. For those of you who have naturally soft water where you live, Mazel Tov, you know, you're probably stoked. That's great. However, for the rest of us, we need to buy a damn RO unit and just be done with it. So let's focus on leaves for a few minutes. Ketapa leaves in specific, uh, specifically, those are the ones that seem to get the most, you know, airplay. The great Ketapa leaf exaggeration, part 500, as I call it. Now, it's been known for many years by science that Ketapa leaves and others have substances in their tissues which do have some potential medicinal functions like saponins, phytosterols, punisalogens, fancy names that sound really cool, and they're often bounced around on hobby sites as a magic elixir for a variety of fish elements and maladies. Now, I can't entirely beat the crap out of this idea, as these compounds are known to provide certain health benefits in humans, and for a long time it was anecdotally assumed that they did the same for fishes. And believe it or not, there have been studies that show benefits to fishes imparted by substances in katapa and other leaves. In fact, I stumbled across a study conduct conducted in Thailand with tilapia for food um, production that uh, katapa extract was useful at eradicating the nasty exoparasite uh, tridoc Trichodana. I don't know why I have trouble saying that. Sorry. And a couple of strains of Aeronomonas, uh, which were inhibited by dosing catapa leaf extract at a dosage of, I think it was 0.5 milligrams per liter and up. In addition, the solution was shown to reduce the fungal infection in tilapia eggs. Interesting. And now it's widely accepted by science that humic substances, such as those present in botanicals, are thought to have a wide range of health benefits for all types of fishes and all types of habitats. We've covered this before in a bunch of blogs, and uh, you can search the Tint and our Tint podcast for some uh, references to that. The implications for the hobby and the industry are profound, although they're not the cure-all that a lot of vendors and people on the internet love to tout them as. Many leaves and other botanicals do possess a wide range of substances which can have significantly beneficial impact on fish health. And as a guy who sells you know, leaves for a living, I have to be careful not to ascribe miraculous attributes to this stuff. Because it's not only not helpful, but it'd be downright misleading and certainly counterproductive for the hobby and the industry by doing so. And I see a lot of counterproductive garbage being put out there at scale. It's important to address some of this stuff from time to time, especially when it's about our use of botanicals and natural style aquariums. We have an obligation of sorts as a, as a leader in this category to elevate our practice of utilizing natural materials and aquariums. And that often means diving just a little bit deeper than the seemingly too good to be true assertions that you see being made all over the place. I'll say it one more time. Catapa leaves cannot cure fish diseases. This is one that has been perpetuated for years, often by people who sell leaves online and elsewhere. Hey, I'm in that group, aren't I? But I don't perpetuate this myth. The assertion that they do bothers the shit out of me. Although it actually has some validity to it as far as medicinal potential medicinal properties, as we just discussed, I said some because we're in the hobby and industry and we tend to cherry pick what we like from science and run with that, often overlooking some of the more sobering realities in, the fa you know, in, the, in favor of the sizzle. Yeah, that's kind of unfortunately what we do as marketers and so forth. I don't like to do that. That's where the danger of regurgitation, as we've talked about before, soaks in. People hear these things and ascribe, you know, such and such said this about that and therefore it must be good because he got good results. Da -da -da -da. Goes on and on. Those benefits that various leaves like Katapa allegedly bring, well, many of them are benefits ascribed to humans. I said this before, and for a long time, it was anecdotally assumed that they did the same for fishes. Now, sure, humans aren't fishes, as we all know. 
Yet, I'll say it one more time, there have been studies that show benefits to fishes imparted by substances in catapa and other leaves. Although they're not the cure-all that many vendors and hobbyists have touted them as, leaves and other botanicals do possess a wide range of substances which can have significant beneficial impact on fish health. The practice of using catapa leaves in aquariums is really quite old. I mean, long time, 100 years or more. And there is a certain logic to their use, which is hard to question. For many years, beta breeders and other enthusiasts in Southeast Asia added catapa leaves to the, t- the tanks and containers that held their fishes and noticed a lot of positives. Those who actually fought their fishes seemed to feel that when kept in water into which catapa had been steeped, the fishes recovered more quickly you know, from their injuries. Those who simply kept the fishes, not for the blood sport that fighting betas was, noticed increased overall vigor, appetite, and health among their fishes. Okay, anecdotal, perhaps. I mean, probably. However, one thing I've learned about the early aquarists is that they employed a very keen power of observation, and they didn't have the internet to quickly spread things on Instagram and, you know, all kinds of misleading stuff. They were a practical lot, if nothing more, who didn't have that internet and cool gadgets and stuff to rely on for information. It was more about trying stuff and going with things that seemed to work for them. They were obviously they've seen something or a combination of things which led them to believe that using catapa leaves was beneficial to their fishes. Now, this makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, in the natural habitats of many fishes of Southeast Asia and South America, for that matter, are blackwater botanical-influenced, you know, habitats, rich with tannin from decomposing vegetation and naturally occurring peat. As we discussed already, many of the humic substances and compounds which benefit fishes are found in these natural waters. As catapa leaves and other botanical materials break down in our aquariums, they impart some of these beneficial compounds into the water, fostering a more healthy environment for fishes which are accustomed to black water conditions, assuming all other aspects of your aquarium are in check, i.e. you don't have ammonia and nitrite going crazy or whatever. Now, perhaps they form an almost prophylactic role at preventing disease and supporting overall fish health as opposed to functioning as a sort of cure. I think that's a better way to look at it. And of course, that leads to more questions. What dosage do we apply? How many leaves steeped in how much water yield a concentration uh, or a solution of 0.5 milligrams per liter or more? How long do these things need to be in the present to, in the aquarium water to accomplish this? Is there truly some measure of effectiveness besides simply seeing your fish is healthy and happy? We're learning the answers to some of these questions together. Katapa keeps calling. Botanicals keep beckoning. Breaking through the barrier of assumptions, hyperbole, and fluff that has often clouded this tinted world before we all came together and made the real effort to understand the function as well as the aesthetics of this dynamic and engrossing hobby niche is something that's going to keep going. It's all on us. Hobbyists, vendors, and lovers of aquariums, you know, push forward to share the facts as they are, along with our personal experiences to help move the state of the art forward. We can all do this, and we all should. Stay curious, stay resourceful, stay diligent, stay bold, stay creative, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tenant.